0: If you have your copies of God's Word with you, if you would please turn with me to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, that's page 1018, 1018. We have just one verse to read today. we will give a signal as to what it is that we're speaking about today. So listen carefully, because this is God's word for you. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 14. It says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's go to our God in prayer and ask his blessing on our message today. Oh, Jesus, we do come to you looking for guidance. Father, we thank you for this word that you have brought to us, this peace that you have announced. I pray that you would help us to hear it, to receive it, and to believe it. ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue our series of Advent this year, we're taking a look at the gifts that God gives to us, which has been um, taken from the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5. Today is the lighting of the peace candle, so that is what we're going to be examining today, this particular fruit of the Spirit, of peace. This is something that the world is actually after. We hear a lot that the world is run by money, but I don't think that's actually true. I think what we're really looking for is peace. Why is it that we want money? It gives us security. That's what, we're, that's what world governments are tasked with doing, is keeping the peace, even if it means going to war. We'll do whatever it takes to have Peace. And yet this is something that the Lord has promised to give to us in our own lives. But what is it? Have you ever thought about that? What is actually the definition of peace? I mean, I think if we were all to cite some sort of dictionary definition, it would be the absence of war. But I think all of us actually have a personal definition of what peace is. For some of us, I think peace means the absence of physical pain, because it's what we're experiencing on a day-to-day basis, and we just want our nerves to stop screaming. I think for others, perhaps those that are younger or are students, peace looks like knowing what the future is going to be, to know that you're going to be okay in the future, and maybe for those of us that are in the middle of these two ends of life, peace doesn't look like knowing what the future is or trying to return to the past, but it's just asking the present just to stop for a minute and just to have some stillness. All of these things, I think, are pieces of peace, but it's not what peace actually is. And we're chasing the wrong thing. Peace is not a thing. Peace is a person. Peace is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in Luke 2.14. When the angels announce the birth of Jesus it's glory to God in the highest and on earth, this means peace. So what we're going to look at today, I'm going to give you the definition up front, and then I'm going to show you how I got to that definition as we unpack what the Scriptures have to say about this word peace. And you can see it there in your outline. And then it is, peace is the feeling of wholeness solely founded on the fact of Christ's work for you. Peace is a feeling of wholeness that's only based on what Jesus has done for you. And that's what we're going to look at today. So, when we look at the word peace, in order to see how the New Testament understands it, we need to look back into the Old Testament to see how it understood it, because it's based off of that concept. And if you go back to the Old Testament, the word for peace, which I'm sure you all are at least somewhat familiar with, is the word shalom. Now, shalom in the Hebrew understanding is way more than the absence of something, the absence of conflict. It's much more than that. It's a feeling of wholeness. Everything is complete and as it should be. That's the feeling of peace, not only in one's community, but in one's own personal life. Well, that's quite an expansive definition of peace than what we typically think of when we think of peace, of just quiet, or just lack of pain, or just lack of anything. It's a positive definition of the wholeness of one's life, everything put together, not broken in pieces, but assembled. This is what he's getting at here. And this isn't something that really any one thing could bring to us a sense of wholeness to where everything should be as it is, comes from Jesus himself and really only could be from Jesus alone. And that's why the angels announce this. Peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Now, if we're thinking about what time period this is, this should actually strike us. You know, there is another that's here in this world, that has promised peace. It's the Roman Empire. In fact, at that time, there was something that was called the Pax Romana, which means the Roman peace. And you know, there's something to be said about those Romans. Yeah, sure, they taxed and pillaged people, but once that was done, you were safe. You didn't have conflicts anymore. You didn't have to worry about your village being raided by some small tribe because they didn't exist anymore. They were all under this blanket of the Roman Empire where everyone looked to the same Lord, paid the same taxes, had a very similar culture, and experienced the same safety. And for many, that's enough. I just would like to not have to worry about people breaking into my house then that's enough peace for me. We set our expectations too low. And really, we should be asking the same question about ourselves. It's not without merit that historians look at America and compare us to the Roman Empire very often. And in fact, we could say that here in our country, we're far more powerful than anything the Roman Empire could have dreamed of. Sure, there's lots of influence, but can you imagine how much more powerful the Roman emperor would have been with an atomic weapon? We have those. And for many, that's as far as we want to look. As long as there's peace in our time, as long as there's no conflict, as long as there's no war and I can just go about my life the way I want to, that's enough for me. And we pass on so much else. And we wonder, despite the fact that we're in the most prosperous times, the most prosperous country we've ever been in, the rates of depression and anxiety and suicide are going up astronomically in our own age. Why is that? I think it's because we have a very low view of what peace is. And generations are looking around and saying, okay, well, there's no one invading us. Is that all there is? Is that it? Just not being killed? Christ offers us a lot more. We have a lot to offer to the world, but we have to create a category for that world to think in, to say there's more to life than just not being robbed, there's more to life than just having your guy in office there's real peace to be found, and his name is Jesus. So how does Jesus define what peace looks like? What can he offer to us that the Romans and even America cannot offer? What is real peace? Well, we saw the beginning. It's announced Jesus' birth. Let's skip ahead in Jesus' life. Turn with me to John chapter 14. We'll be looking at John 14 through 16, just a couple of spots as we go along to see what Jesus is saying about peace. To give you some context, this is Jesus' last teachings to the disciples before he is about to go to the cross. So disaster is imminent for the disciples. They've thrown in their lot with Jesus. They believe he is going to be the one that's going to bring in the kingdom, and he's about to die. So he's preparing them for this moment of what life is going to be like without him. He's going to answer this question, what is peace? And in fact, if we were to skip all the way to John 16, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. What are these things? Well, everything he's saying in chapter 14 through 16. So let's take some highlights as to what we're seeing. First, we find out that peace exists solely in him. That peace exists solely in him. And here in John 14, he goes on to say and gives them the reason as to why they shouldn't be troubled. And he picks up, In verse 2, In my Father's house there are many rooms, for were not so what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And Thomas is asking, well, where is that place? How do we get there? And then he answers in verse 6, He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's going to give you these things so that you may have peace. And the first thing is, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. He's off to do the work, to give you a place in heaven. Well, how do we do that? Well, he says, well, I am the way to do that. He's not only the builder of the place, but he's the road to that place. It's Jesus from beginning to end. And you might think, well, okay. All right, well, if he is the the builder of this place, and he is the road to this place. How do I travel along this road? Has Jesus simply provided the bridge, but I'm still the one that's got to crawl over it on my hands and knees? How does this work? Well, he goes on. In John chapter 15, he gives us a different metaphor. In John 15, verse 1, he says, I am the vine. And my father is the vine dresser. And then in verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So hear what he's saying here. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I am the way to that place. There is no other way that you get there. And the way that you get there is not by impressing the Father with how well you walk the Jesus road. But it's by living with Jesus. The way you go down the path is by staying still. Being at home with Jesus, recognizing that apart from him, you can do nothing, including attaining peace. Peace exists solely in Jesus. So if you don't have it, the first question we need to ask is, well, are you connected to him? Abby was telling me about a movie she had watched with the children. It was an animated movie. It was called The Star. It was a Christmas film. And the the bad guys in the film at, at some point are gathered around the baby. It's the conclusion of the film. And one of them looks at the other and says, Well, are we good now? And the other one, they were so close. The other one said, We'll try. Oh! No, it would have been, well, because of him we can be. He is our goodness. He is what will produce this righteousness in us. That's where you find peace. If peace is up to you, it'll never happen. It's got to be existing in Jesus. Now, at the same time, if you say, well, yes, I know. I've committed my life to Christ, but lately I've been going through a real rough patch here. Are you saying that if the the point is to be still, then, then does this mean that God has no claim on my life, has no claim on how I live? And the answer is no. You find peace and you find Christ in his grace, but you experience that peace in obedience to him. It exists solely in Jesus. You're not going to find it in any other source. But you're going to experience it in obedience to him. That's what we find later on, both in chapter 15, where it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But I think that there is a passage that makes this point even better. If you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, very famous passage. If we start in verse 4, we'll read on. Here Paul is giving us a command that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. These things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So what are we to take away from something like that? If we are to think about all of these things and then peace will be with us, Well, then the opposite question would be, well, what happens if we don't? Well, then you're not going to have peace. And no wonder. If you're thinking about things that are dishonorable, unlovely, and are worthy of not praise, worthy of condemnation, well, no wonder you're so upset. It has been well said that facts don't care about your feelings. But it is equally true that feelings actually care a great deal about the facts. In fact, feelings always follow facts or whatever you label as a fact. If you are feeding your mind your own words, if you're feeding your mind your own perspective on life or heaven help you, cable news perspective on your life, it's going to be no wonder you have no peace. Because we need to interpret it through these words. Again, we don't earn our peace through our actions, but we do experience peace through our actions. It's no wonder if the Lord tells us, this is the way to live your life. He's not doing this just because that's his preference. He's doing that because that's what your good life looks like. Interpreted through these words, this is the path to peace. Through Christ and through his word. And if you wander from his word, Jesus loves you enough to bring you back. And sometimes he'll do it through discipline. This is key to understand people. When we go through something hard, God is not punishing you for your sin. Christ has taken that. But what He is willing to do is to discipline you to bring you back. It's very different. When we experience hardship, this isn't God going, <laughs> zap. When He says, when there's hardship in our life, it's saying, no, 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 no. You see, that's not the right way. I'm going to bring you back in this way. That's hard to experience sometimes. And in fact, the scriptures actually make note of that. In Hebrews chapter 12, it's speaking about the Lord's discipline. In fact, in Hebrews 12 verse 6, he says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And if you slip down to verse 11, It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Jesus is for your peace, even through discipline, even through hardship. So peace exists only in Jesus. It is experienced in obedience to him and is expanded by his discipline. That's biblical peace. Even if at the moment not all of life is very peaceful. Also, we can be very impatient with the process. You'll notice that it says, but later it will yield that peace. So much of the time, the things that we go through in life don't bring us peace until much, much later. Sometimes years. That's why it's really important to talk to people who have gone through a few things. People who have lived some life. I think it's too often we try to pretend like our lives have been perfect. And we don't take advantage of the very things that will actually be most helpful to people. To say, no, I've been through a hard time, but here's what the Lord has done through it. Yes, I was in pain for 15 years, and I still am. But the Lord is working through it. And it's amazing the people that have suffered the most who are united to Christ can be the most peaceful people you'll ever talk to. It's almost irritating. How can you have this much peace? Because this doesn't come through what I'm going through, it doesn't come through my circumstances, it exists in Christ. It's not experienced in my pain. It's experienced in the obedience of Christ. It has even expanded in the pain that I'm currently going through. It's because of Jesus. Sometimes it takes discipline in order for us to know that it's been Jesus the whole time. You can imagine our life with Jesus is like he's running a race. And he's holding us. The whole footprints in the sand thing is wrong. It's always been one set of footprints. Jesus is carrying you the whole time. But we can often get focused on other things. When we're racing along with Jesus as he's holding us the whole way, we can look to our shoes that we have on our feet that have never touched the ground. And we look at those and say, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I have these shoes as I'm going through this race. It's what's keeping my feet going. And then Jesus will pull the shoes off. And we panic. And then we hang on to Jesus even tighter. And we realize, oh, it was never the shoes at all. It was Jesus. And then we look to our arms and say, boy, I'm so glad I have these arms to grab hold of Jesus. And guess what he does next? He weakens your arms. You panic again. And you realize, it wasn't me holding on to Jesus at all. It was Jesus holding on to me the entire time. And your eyes focus on Jesus saying, wow, I have a savior. And I'm so glad that I can see him. And then Jesus covers your eyes. And you panic again. And then you realize, even when I can't see him, he's there. And it's by stripping away these things as we go through life, you realize, oh, it was Jesus the whole time. I think this is usually why the Lord waits until we're older for things to start hurting. He's given us time to spiritually mature. We can handle these things. And as more and more of our lives are being peeled away, the more and more things we realize that we were looking to. Remember a story, in the Gulag Archipelago, but a man who was in a prison camp. There is, you have nothing prison camp he was a christian he was days away from dying of starvation but according to the other prisoners he had the greatest joy that he that any of them had ever seen and he says i finally realize it's really true there is nothing i need but jesus some people are given the privilege of seeing jesus that clearly But be careful what you ask for. Because there are a lot of things that we put in front of our eyes because we'd rather look at that than Jesus. Be careful what you're trusting in. Today in our modern life, we have more tools than ever to give us the feeling of peace without the facts to back it up. You can walk into any doctor's office and say, I don't have any peace, and he'll give you something to swallow. And we'll tell you this will bring you peace. And you can bring some measure of chemical peace to your life, but it's not based on anything. That's not to say that there aren't people that do have genuine chemistry problems and need those medications. And we're grateful to the Lord for those. But we're way too quick to look to a one-stop solution. I think far more than medicines or the rise of psychedelics. I think you'll see more and more of that as those become more accepted and widely available. I think really the real Tower of Babel that we've been building in our own life is the Tower of Distraction. We carry screens with us in our pockets. I've got three of them here on my desk. And don't those give us a little hit of peace? Doesn't the world fade away for just a moment while we scroll? It's intoxicating, isn't it? Feeling bad about something? Well, Facebook will chase that away for as long as you're looking at it. You can get those chemicals firing in your head, you can feel better for a moment. But we all know that's a Band-Aid. It's not really dealing with the problem. Whatever it is that drove you to that screen will be very patiently waiting for you when you log off. And we can laugh. And there's a certain segment in which it's like, that's meant to. But the Lord has something for us with that. And it's in Isaiah. Isaiah 51. The Lord is speaking to Israel. 51, starting in verse 12. He says, the Lord speaking, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass, and have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth? Do you hear what he's saying? John Piper translated this verse as saying, How dare you trust something Have you forgotten who the Lord is? And whenever I lose my peace, that's exactly what I've done. I have forgotten the Lord who has made heaven and earth. And I'm looking to something else. To bring me wholeness of my soul. And I turn to the computer? That's not where peace is, and no wonder I can't find it. Not lasting. Instead, our peace comes from what we read in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Paul says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's not held back his son. Why do we think he's going to hold out on us now? It continues. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Now what's interesting here, again, I'm borrowing from my favorite Baptist minister, He says, many people in the American church stop there. And they say, well, the reason why tribulation, distress, nakedness, danger, and sword is not going to separate you from the love of God is because you won't experience those things. It's health and wealth and safety. But that's not what Paul says. Listen to him as he continues. He says, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It's not the absence of those things. It is because we are experiencing those things. Then he continues. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's in the midst of all of those things we are more than conquerors. How? I don't know about you, but when there's a sword hanging over my head, I don't feel like a conqueror all that much. And that's usually because I've lost track of Christ. That's because of the last thing that Jesus said in John 16, verse 33. It says, I have said these things to you that in me, and that's where it exists, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Overcome would be the word conquer. The reason why you can be a conqueror when there is a sword through your heart is because Christ has conquered the world, not you. And in Him, you have peace because nothing is able to separate you from the love of God. That's our focus. So, what does this mean for us on Monday? It's one thing to say we're more than conquerors when we're sitting in a nice building. But some of us have to return to real life tomorrow. Where there's anything in our house but peace. What does this tell you? Again, if you are going to find peace, you're never going to find it in your circumstances. You live in a fallen world, stained with sin from beginning to end. Why do you think you would find peace here? It doesn't exist. Spoiler alert. But it's only in Christ. So keep your eye on him. Resist the urge to just distract, but run to the source of peace. Now this doesn't mean that Christians can never be sad or are never expected to be sad. There's a reason why in God's hymn book, a third of the Psalms are meant for lament. But peace is not found in the absence of lament. It is found within that within the midst of tribulation, nakedness, and sword, we're focusing on Christ and remembering what He has purchased for us, peace with God. And it's only when we keep our eyes on that larger picture does the rest of these little things make sense. These things that happen to us are not because the Lord's angry with us, but it's just strip away those things that we would otherwise trust in so that we find peace In Christ. Now to be sure. Be very practical here. Sometimes we lose our peace. Because we're not taking care of ourselves. You can see this in the journals of the old Puritans. They'll write about how they spent the entire night in prayer. And how joyous their soul is. And then the next day their journal entry is. How far they feel from the Lord. They just need a nap. You're a physical being. As well as a spiritual one. You need to take care of both. If there's something broken in your physicality. If you're not sleeping, the Lord's called you to rest, by the way, it's in one of the commandments. Physically rest, take in the nutrition that you need, address things that are bothering you. Real practical. But that ultimate lasting peace is only going to be found by recognizing that you are forgiven. Forgiven in Christ. And that because of his work, one day we'll go to that place that he is preparing for us. If you lose that perspective, if you put something in front of your face to keep you from being able to see that, it's no wonder you will have no peace. But it's by abiding in Christ, obeying what he has said, submitting willingly to the discipline that he gives to us, you will find that's where your peace exists where it's experienced, and how it's expanded. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we do thank you for what you have purchased for us, that while we were sinners, you died for us. And now you live for us. And I pray that everyone who is here will have recognized that they will find no peace of soul without you. And that if they haven't, that this would be the day they would find salvation in you. That they would love you. That they would ask you for the forgiveness of their sin. And that you would grant them the forgiveness and peace that you promise. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.